Jerry, last time we had Dr. Murray Cohen on, he was with the CDC over 20 years, infectious disease and a lot of specialized in a lot of things. People commented that they learned more in that interview than they've done during this entire pandemic. It's really an amazing guy with a lot of info and he joins us now. Hi, Dr. Cohen. Good morning, Doc. Hi, good morning to you. That was very kind of you. I, I appreciate those remarks, but... Full disclosure, I was declared by the United States government to be non-essential. So. <laughs> we were, too. <laughs> yeah. I heard our producer tell you uh, that, yeah, we're staying in shape during the. We're really not, Doc. We need you bad. Yeah. We really yeah. need. You guys have coined the term that I've been, been using. I just love it. Um, the, uh, the quarantine 15. Oh, Yes. It goes along with I haven't seen my toes in three months. Yeah, yeah. I'm starting to not see something else too. I'm starting to worry yeah. about. <laughs> hey, Dr. Cohen, I'm going to start off, and maybe this isn't a question, but it's kind of a, a statement that you can respond to. Okay, so during this entire thing, the president's been wrong. Dr. Fauci, who's smart. Uh, you know, we just played a clip last week of him saying, don't wear masks. Now he says wearing masks. Uh, local governors have been wrong. Everybody's been wrong on this, right? So why are we hammering people for not knowing something that no one knows about? Well, that's a very good point. Um, you know, and I think one of the problems is that just like politicians, scientists now seem to be held in about the lowest esteem by the public uh, in history. And so they've been fooled enough times or scared uh, unnecessarily enough times that they're very reticent uh, to believe. Um, plus, there's, you know, there's epidemics all the time. I call them CNN-itis. You know, people sure. see some kind of uh, uh, story on the TV and, and they just freak out. Um, now, a lot of that is due to their you know, lack of, uh, let's say, science education or understanding of something as complicated as germ theory. But I don't blame the victim. Um, I, I blame I blame the uh, the messengers, not the message, um, and not the receivers. So so you've you've raised a good point. Um, I think what we need to do is, you know, figure out how to separate the wheat from the chaff. You know, how do you how do you get smart enough about the fundamentals so that you can filter all the junk you're hearing and figure out what really makes the most sense and what you're going to believe. Because this stuff is not rocket science. Epidemiology is not rocket science. It's very straightforward. Now, I'll, I'll give you a clue, uh, or I'll give you an example. Um, you talked about masks, you know, and, and it kind of reminded me back in uh, the mid-70s, the time in the public health service that I called the carcinogen of the month club. You can, wear, you can have saccharin. No, you can't have saccharin. It causes cancer. Well, we decided now you can't have saccharin. And everybody was confused all the time. And so it's kind of like that now. Well, here's the point about masks. And this is masks as opposed to respirators. Respirator is a very specific uh, regulatory term. There's a part of CDC called NIOSH, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. Uh, actually, they're big laboratories. They're there in Ohio, down in Cincinnati. Um, they have the responsibility by law of testing and certifying respiratory protective equipment to mm -hmm. protect workers when they're exposed to dusts, fumes, mists, gases, whatever. So that's where the N95 mask that you hear about comes from. N95 right. were developed um, back during the era of HIV AIDS um, and outbreaks of tuberculosis among AIDS patients to protect healthcare workers from tuberculosis. So those are a healthcare version of an industrial respirator. They protect the wearer, 
because they filter all of the nasty particles that you're trying to be prevented from, in this case, virus particles. Okay, got it. So it protects the wearer. Masks, it's just a generic term, like surgical masks. Surgical masks are slightly better than a Kleenex. They're probably not better than a scarf or a bandana wrapped around your mouth. They don't protect the wearer from anything. They protect everybody else from the wearer because in this case, what's somewhat unusual about this virus compared to, say, influenza and other um, respiratory viruses, this one tends not to be exhaled in what we call particulate aerosols, tiny little um, respirable-sized particles that you breathe into your lung. They're like coal dust. Mm -hmm. you know, they're a very special size, and, and they float in the air for a long time, and they live in the air for a long time, and they disperse by what's called diffusion. Now, they just spread throughout the whole room. So anybody walking through is going to breathe those things. For that, you would have to have an N95 to be protected. This virus tends instead, I think it's probably, I don't know this, but probably because most of its replication is in the nose, the nose and the throat. We talked about that last time. Yep. Um, certainly when you're, when you're sick, it's in your lungs and you're you know, coughing it out, you know, in hospitals and whatnot. But, but for all these asymptomatic spreaders, it's mostly not coming up out of their lungs. It's just coming out of their nose or their throat. So it doesn't go very far. That's why we have the six feet social distancing. Those particles are actually like big soggy raisins compared to everything else floating in the air. And so they come out and they either impact something like you if you don't have a mask on, or they settle by gravity onto a surface where the virus can stay viable for various amounts of time, depending on what the surface is made out of, plastic, steel, textile, or whatever. And people pick those up on their fingertips and then touch their, right. their mouth, their eyes with their fingers, and that's how the virus transmits. Now, uh, for Let me just finish. So yep. the point of the masks, the point of the masks, when they first said don't wear masks, we didn't know that the Transmission was primarily these, you know, little, you know, short distance airborne particles. For all we knew, they were all big aerosols. And so the masks wouldn't help you. It'd be a false sense of security. Now we know that most of the spread is from asymptomatic people. So you may be perfectly fine, but you're still infected and you're shedding. So how do we protect everybody else from you? And that's by putting simply a physical barrier to catch those, um, I think the technical scientific term is goobers, as you uh, exhale them or, or talk mm -hmm. them out, catches them in your mask, and so everybody else is protected. Basically, to me, the people who were out there um, you know, waving Confederate flags and guns and talking liberty and not wearing masks and whatnot, basically, they're just selfish. Because anybody that's out now with what we know about this virus not wearing a mask is just selfish. They're saying, I don't care about you. Fair enough. And that would explain the dirty looks in Home Depot. <laughs> yes. Now, and Home, and Home Depot even sells perfectly good N95 masks. Let me, let me ask you this. <laughs> Formerly of the CDC, we have Dr. Murray Cohen with us, his second visit, and we appreciate your time this morning. Why do you think it's advantageous for the media and some in uh, government, nationally and locally, 
to always peddle the fear. Is it advantage? I mean, it, is a fearful citizen more apt to be compliant? Is that why they do that? Because we, they want everyone to be compliant, and if they're afraid, then they'll do what we say. Well, I'm not that kind of doctor. I don't know about psychology as an expert, and I certainly don't know about gauging intentions. Um, I don't know that media is you know, particularly making it scary. I think it really is scary. I think they're probably not deliberately trying to tamp down the scares. You know, you had a really good show that I listened to from um, Dr. Amy Acton, probably the country's best state medical director. Right. And she had she has a very calming approach. And she makes, you know, to me, she makes everybody feel really, you know, confident and um, optimistic because she is a confident, optimistic person. Um, and I don't think a lot of the people in the media, you know, get get their big salaries like you guys, the big salaries, right? They tell you, the yeah, the, we get the big money. That's us. All right. Well, let me let me throw an example at you here. And I know you're not that kind of doctor, but an example of what I'm talking about is I heard yesterday. Now, whether this is what I heard. So this could be off. I heard a 24 year old and under the chance of 24 and under dying of covid-19 is one in a million. And yet. They're waffling on school in five months from now, in the fall. And why would that be? Why would you be leading a newscaster, pushing that narrative when, A, nobody really knows, but if they're there, they all seem to go to that fear, 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 and it's just driving me crazy, Doc. I don't think that's fear-mongering. I think it's not telling the whole story, which you know, is, is probably just as evil on their part. You know, they tell you half a story mm-hmm. and expect you to know the whole story. Remember the old uh, Charlie Chan movies in the 40s and 50s? You know, things not always as they appear. <laughs> 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 the, fact, the fact that young people and children in particular have not been dying and actually not been getting you know, much of the infection belies two very important facts. One that we know and one that we don't know. One that we know is there's an incredibly serious, um, potentially fatal uh, uh, syndrome that young children are getting under the age of five. Um, It's an autoimmune disease, and it's only fairly recently appeared. um, They're almost starting to count cases, you know, just alone by itself. I think New York's had five. So it's, it's not very prevalent. But when it happens, it's horrible. It's an autoimmune disease. Uh, it's very much like a disease that we call Kawasaki's disease. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's really, really serious and it's terrible. So we don't want to start, since we don't know exactly how and why that's happening in kids, we don't want to be making kids, you know, canaries in the coal mine and putting them out there to get more exposure to the bug so that we can begin to learn why this happens. We just assume, you know, to keep it from happening. So that's the first point. The second point is, well, so much about this virus is diabolical. I mean, we don't know because it's not acting the way we predict these viruses to act. So, so we're learning new things. Um, we don't know why these young people tend not to get the infection or not to get the disease. What we don't know is whether or not they're little walking petri dishes that are, you know, gurgling this virus and then going out and spreading it. And particularly if they get it at school, taking it home to their and, and infect their parents and grandparents who may in fact be high risk people. 
So a lot of the school, to boil all that down, a lot of that school question and issue has to do with, one, preventing a fairly uncommon but deadly complication in children happening so often that we then have to start counting them. And two, we just don't know yet what's going on with this virus inside young people's bodies. Mm. We don't know, for example, one of the, one of the things I find really interesting in terms of the, the science going on, there may be something about children's immune systems that the virus hasn't figured out yet. They have some particular way, some tiny little you know, biochemical way of fighting off this virus. And so there's a lot of research going on in kids' immune systems to try to see if we can find whatever that little tiny bit of biochemistry is and turn that into a therapeutic, a drug. Are you telling me eating boogers might stop the coronavirus? Paste? You know, Elmer's that's, glue? That's, that's <laughs> as good a scientific principle as any others. I mean, right now it's all fast <laughs> hey, We're throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah, yeah. well, we... So, and it'll be a really interesting social experiment we were talking about it the other day that to see what happens in Wisconsin. I mean, you look at those videos yesterday. People were out in force. There wasn't a mask to be seen. I'm just curious in six months when we look back what we'll be saying. It'll be interesting. You're not going to have to wait six months, my friends. Really? Yeah, really. That's just, uh, um, well, that's just stupid. Yeah. Yeah, hey, what's what's next? So we started with flattening the curve because we didn't want the hospitals overrun. I think we've, we've accomplished that, and I think we're moving to the next phase. Are we doing everything right? Because we don't want the, it is what it is. There might not be a cure, right? We just don't know. We just got to learn how to treat it, I would guess and then move forward. But are we doing everything right, in your opinion? Absolutely not. Oh, okay. And, and what's, what's sad is that we continue to perpetuate the early mistakes that caused this outbreak to take hold in the first place. Um, you know, first of all, you need to think about, like, where does flattening the curve fit in the panoply of, of responses and infection control strategies? This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so a marathon's got mileposts all along the way. So our first milepost was to flatten the curve. What that did, as you noted, is it protected against hospital surges and being overrun by cases. It didn't reduce the number of cases total. It just spread them out over more time. And we have pretty much accomplished that. So that's good. We still aren't testing and we're not testing for antibodies. Uh, that's the way you do screening and population-based understanding of where the disease has been. Who are all those people out there who are starting to create the herd immunity, who have been infected and have now resolved the virus? Um, we need to be doing that kind of testing, and we need to be doing that a million times a day. Why are we not doing that? I don't know. Is it the uh, government? Is it the people in charge? Oh, is it the CDC? Yeah. 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 Well, let's let's look again at, at you know again the the post mortem where we start pointing fingers of blame uh, is going to come later. Right now, we're still in the middle of battle. Yeah. But but I maintain the whole reason we have this outbreak in America in the first place is when we had the opportunity um, in January and early February to start you know doing testing, doing isolation, looking for cases. Um, not only did we not do it, we prevented anybody from doing it in America. And I blame the CDC and the FDA for this. They, uh, they refused to use tests that were 
perfectly adequate that were being used in Germany and in um, South Korea and Singapore. WHO offered those tests just reported to the United States. And we said no, because CDC said, we're going to make our own test. Well, that took a month of time lost. And then, of course, they made their tests and they didn't work. They botched it. So then it was another three weeks. So that's the critical couple of months where this whole epidemic took hold. But Dr. Cohen, they'll blame, you know how how people are, they're going to blame the president, right? Well, that's that's not um, that's okay. You know, okay yeah. very true. The, buck, the buck stops here. Um, I don't think it was the president personally, but it certainly was his administration. It was the leadership, you know, his appointees at CDC and FDA and HHS. So those are the, those are the people that, that caused this to happen. And they've uh, been there forever, though, right? They've been there for a long time. No, no, no. They're they're political appointees. Oh, okay, okay. Oh. oh, okay, okay. So, all right, now I don't want to be looking backwards. I mean, right now, again, we're we're in the heat of battle. Uh, the bullets are flying. You know, we we got to figure out how to protect ourselves and how to get hold of this. Well, Doc, we, I, we, we need to start doing what we didn't do in the first place. Okay, I don't know where to start. All right. Well, I know it's early on a Monday morning. We appreciate your uh, your time this morning, but I've got this problem with my ass, and I was wondering if I here. Let me stand. No, you're not that kind of doctor either, are you? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey, let's, doctor. doctor. By, the way, by, by the way, please turn around and face that camera, would you? Yeah, I cough. <laughs> <laughs> hey, doctor, let's do it again in a couple weeks if you're available. Yep, two more. Give us two more. I always enjoy talking with you. Just let me know when I can help out, guys. Be y- safe. You're All the right, best. Thanks, Dr. Cohen.